0: Thank you for that, choir. And Janet, thank you for leading our music this morning with Tommy Away. The other night I was sitting at home watching television when I came across the movie When Harry Met Sally. It's one of those movies that always seems to be on television uh, this time of year. For those of you who may not be familiar with it, When Harry Met Sally is a romantic comedy from the late 80s starring Billy Crystal and Meg Ryan and one very satisfying sandwich at Katz's Delicatessen. It's a great movie. It's the story of Harry and Sally and how on New Year's Eve, they finally realize that they love one another. The film's Denema has Harry and Sally sitting on a couch facing the camera, giving an interview about their relationship, about how just three months after their New Year's Eve kiss, they were married about how the wedding itself went, and about how it took the two of them twelve long years to really finally meet one another. If you've seen the film, then you know that that interview is actually the last in a string of interviews that are peppered throughout the whole thing. Interviews where other couples, typically older couples, do the same. They sit on the couch, they look into the camera, and they tell their own stories of how, over days or months or even years, they met and they fell in love. Because beginnings are like that, aren't they? They're always something new. A marriage, for example, the beginning of a new family. But they are also always rooted in something. A setting, a history, a story about the people who are involved. Beginnings, in other words, do not just happen like that which takes us to our gospel lesson this morning. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As Britt noted in his sermon last week, we have just started a new church year, and in this year our gospel readings will largely come from Mark's gospel. This is why today we have just read its opening words. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark's is a starkly different opening from the other Gospels. John, if you'll recall, begins in the time that is before time, when the Word was God and the Word was with God. Matthew and Luke give us chapters worth of stories about Jesus' birth and childhood. Visits by shepherds and magi, the songs of angels, threats from tyrants. They even take the time to go through Jesus' genealogy. But not Mark. No. No prologue. No throat clearing, no stage setting, nothing, just straight business. Mark is in far too much of a hurry for these kinds of things, and in fact, this sense of urgency will carry throughout his entire gospel. Mark actually uses the word immediately, more than every other writer in every other book in the entire New Testament combined. Immediately, he says, Jesus did this. Immediately, he tells us, Jesus did that. And immediately, it seems, Mark wants to get down to business. But he can't. He wants to get right to it, telling us about the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But like all important things, to tell the story rightly, he does have to add some kind of context. Some run-up. A way to set the stage. Because things in this world, great things, especially important things, earth-shaking things, they do not just drop out of the sky. I mean, it might have only taken Harry and Sally three months to get married. But before that, it was 12 years that it took them to fall in love. And to understand the story of the love and the wedding and the marriage you have to understand something of those 12 years as well. Thus, Mark begins the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, not with Jesus Christ, and not there in Galilee where Jesus would spend his ministry, but instead with a man named Isaiah, in a faraway land called Babylon. Hundreds of years before this, you see, the people of God had been conquered by their enemies. Their homes had been destroyed. Their entire world had been destroyed, and they had been carried off into exile. And it's to these people... Strangers living in a strange land under the heel of a tyrant, bereft of any realistic hope in this world. It is to these people that Isaiah came and promised them that they were not forgotten. That their cries their cares, their concerns, that these things had reached up to heaven above and that God had remembered them, that God still loved them, and that God would refuse to give them up. And therefore, that God would come down and redeem them God, in other words, remained faithful. Even when some of God's children knew that they themselves had been unfaithful. And in the Isaiah passage that Mark is quoting from, the one that Allison read a little while ago, we hear that they knew that they had been. But even then, God chose to be true and gracious, to reach out to them, to comfort them, speak tenderly to them, not to ask whether or not they deserved this, not to count the cost, not even to count their sins against them, but instead to save them and to save them simply because he loves them. In Mark's gospel, this glance back at Isaiah is only two verses. Mark is, after all, in a hurry. But in those two verses, Mark points backwards to a story that shows us who God was, that God was loving and kind, faithful and forgiving, and therefore, in those two verses, Mark is showing us who this God still is. He's reminding us why this good news that he is so anxious to share with us is, in fact, well and truly good. Because it is news. It is something new. Make no mistake about it, while the good news that Mark is getting ready to share with his readers and to each and every one of us is rooted in the same good news that Isaiah proclaimed to God's people suffering exile in Babylon, this is also a new thing that God is up to here. It begins in similar circumstances, as it turns out. Israel again finds itself languishing beneath the heel of a foreign empire. This time it's Rome instead of Babylon. God has sent a messenger to his people to promise them that their redemption is near. Here it's John the Baptist, or John the Baptizer, as this morning's translation translation says. But the promise that John is making, the news that Mark wrote down to share with people like you and me, it's different. It's still good news. Make no mistake about it. It is still good. But it's good in a different way, a larger Way, John, you see, isn't just coming to repeat the same news that Isaiah had shared so many centuries before. That the yoke of oppression would be cast off of God's children and that they and their loved ones would be free. Although certainly throughout this gospel and the other gospels and all of the New Testament itself, that promise remains true. But alongside that, John the baptizer and Mark the evangelist also want to tell the story of a redemption that is even larger. A redemption that's not just for those who are living under Roman occupation and not just for the children of Israel writ large, but that is actually for all children everywhere. A redemption that doesn't just save from Caesar's rule or Caesar's legions, but from whatever or from whatever other earthbound enemy we might find ourselves battling, but instead one that saves us from those things that ensnare us in here. A redemption that frees us from our sinfulness. Or if that language is a little too old-timey for you, a redemption that heals us where we're broken, that heals our selfishness, our callousness, our envy, that can free us from our fears and our resentments, and that can actually finally offer us peace. A salvation, in other words, that is true and total, full and final, freely offered to everyone, everywhere, and freely given to any who are courageous enough to accept. One that's ready to step into those places in our lives and in our world that feel totally hopeless, It sounds impossible, doesn't it? Like the kind of thing a child might conjure up in the dark. Or the kind of thing that a people whose whole entire world had been shattered might cling to in their helplessness. And yet that is the promise that is on offer in Mark. And here, right here at the beginning, just as he's getting started, he points backwards 500 years and he says, see, see, this new thing that I'm going to tell you about, this good news that I'm going to share, it's new, but it's not really We have seen its like before. We have dared to dream this kind of dream already, and we have seen it come true. So it might be new, but it's not unheard of. It might sound fantastic. But it is, in fact, consistent with the character of our God. It's really no wonder then, is it, that Mark is so anxious to get started. With a story like that to tell, how in the world could anyone ever want to talk about anything else? Thanks be to God. Amen. My friends, it is not just good news. It is, in fact, great news. It is love and welcome, redemption, forgiveness, peace, and community. All those things that we were created for. All those things that we cast about in our world around us, trying to find and trying to find satisfaction in. Here they are on offer for free. If you're here today and you would like to accept that offer, or if you are here and you already know this good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and you wish to join with us and share that with our neighbors all around us in Jacksonville and beyond, then now is the time in our service when such things might be made known publicly, as we stand together as we are able and sing.